Thanks for listening to Connection Church's podcast. Today's message is a part of our series, Home for the Holidays. For some of us, Christmas time can trigger an array of feelings like nostalgia, joy, and togetherness. And for the rest of us, the holidays can be summed up in two words, dysfunctional family. Whatever side you're on, this series will show you how to become a better husband, wife, mother, or father, and how to build on these relationships by putting Christ in the center. Morning. How's everybody? We good? Good, good. Y'all look excited. Glad to see you guys. Um, how many of you have finished your Christmas shopping? Anybody finished? Completely finished? You can help me with mine if you have. I'd be most appreciative of that. Um, hope you had a good week. Excited about continuing this series uh, today called um, Home for the Holidays. We're actually going to be in this series today. Um, next Sunday when we have the one service at 9 o'clock. Don't forget that. Next week, 9 o'clock. Um, we'll all be in here. And after that service, we're going to go prepare meals and take them to people who otherwise may not have a Christmas dinner. And uh, it was a special time last year. Hope you'll be a part of that again this year. Um, and then on the 24th, don't forget, we're going to we'll wrap up this series then. And that'll be um, our Christmas Eve service at 530 on Tuesday. So hope you'll invite somebody. You can get people to come to church on Christmas Eve when they otherwise would not come to church. And we promise that we're going to do everything we can um, to help them uh, hear about the gospel, hear the reason that Jesus came to us. And so um, we're, we're going to preach the gospel that night. And we, we ask that you would um, just invite, invest in somebody's life, invite them to come and be a part of that service and, and, um, and allow them the opportunity to hear the gospel and for God to move in them um, through your invitation and through the message and the worship that day. So today we're going to be in Luke chapter one. You have your Bibles. You can turn there. Luke chapter one. We're getting, but going to begin in verse 26. And we'll read through verse 38, and then we're going to talk about this text a little bit. It's about um, when the, the angel appears to Mary and the birth of Jesus is foretold, and there's a lot of things going on here. Last week, we spoke specifically to the men and even more specifically to dads um, and uh, husbands about their influence in the family. And uh, But it was something that I believe everybody in here could take something away from, whether you're a woman, whether you're a dad, whether you'll never be a dad. I think it was something that you could take away in realizing your influence on the people around you um, and that we all have influence and we're all leading somebody somewhere. Um, today, we're going to talk um, uh, specifically to women, specifically uh, even more so to moms um, and to mothers. Um, but guys, there's a lot in this that you can take away too. If nothing else, you can learn how your wife uh, may be feeling, how um, uh, children, you can learn how your mother may be feeling. And uh, I want to just, I pray that this will be uh, a challenge, but also really an encouragement to moms um, and to mothers as we uh, continue to look at this. So guys, last week it was your turn, ladies, this week it's your turn. So um, I want to read this text now, First, uh, Luke the chapter 26 in verse 1. Or chapter one, and then we're going to jump in and get going. Verse 26, it says this. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son and you're to call him or give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me, as you have said, Then the angel left her. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word that is living and is active. God, I pray today that it will speak to our hearts. God, I pray today that we would leave here with our affections stirred for you. God, I pray that um, we'll be challenged and encouraged through the working of your Holy Spirit in us. God, um, we can't change anyone's heart, but God, you can and you do. And we ask you to do that now in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. How many of you, when you were a child... 
Um, but, you know, you played in the yard a lot. If you were like me, you're always in the yard playing or playing with friends. And, you know, you get hot and you get thirsty, but you really didn't want to go all the way inside. So you just go over to the faucet and you get the hose pipe and you just drink out of the hose pipe, right? Hose pipe water. Probably, you know, is why we're still alive today, right? Hose pipe water. Um, good stuff. And so you do that. And sometimes, though, you might have the hose pipe up to your mouth to get a drink and having your, your friend or your buddy turn it on, right? And, and sometimes it would just come out and nearly drown you. You know what I'm saying? It's a, a surprise, right? You just try to drink it and then all of a sudden they turn it up and it just hits you all in the face. Kind of like trying to get a drink of water out of a fire hydrant or something. It just kind of blows all in your face. You know, you're choking, you're, you're coughing, you're just trying to get breath, right? Um, I felt kind of like that this week as I was preparing this message for um, the ladies. I don't know if you've noticed, I hope this is pretty apparent, apparent but I'm not a woman, right? And uh, in fact, I've never been a woman, and it's a true story. I've never been a woman, and um, and so this week I sat down with um, uh, about six or eight ladies, and I asked them. I said, "Tell me how you feel as a mother, and the challenges that you face." And for the next two hours, I felt like someone had put the hose pipe in my face and it was just like literally drowning me with information. I should have just videoed it because there was no possible way I could write it down. But one thing it showed me is that women today, mothers, you're facing great challenges. I've seen this in the the life of my own wife, Susan, um, who is a fantastic mother, a fantastic wife, and yet... So many times feels like she isn't doing enough or can't get it all done or even has condemnation about not being a good enough mother. Well, today I want to encourage you, ladies, and I want to hopefully be able to expose some things for you that will help you see maybe some lies that you've been believing. In fact, if you have your announcement card, on the back of that card, um, you're going to see um, some, some bullet points, uh, uh, four points and, and a sub point under each one of those that, that we entitled um, Four Lies of the Enemy. And guys, these are lies that we believe as well. So don't just discount and say, that's just my wife. Allow God to search your heart as well and allow God to speak to your heart as well because really these lies are things that we all deal with. I think they're especially pertinent to women, especially mothers, as they're trying to raise their children. Many trying to raise their children by themselves. Um, Maybe dad's present, but he's not there. You know what I'm saying? Um, and, And so he's trying to raise, there's a void of godly men leading families today. And mothers are under incredible pressure and incredible stress trying to do this many times in what seems to be um, on their own. So the first thing I want to tell you, and we're going to look at this out of the life of Mary, who definitely dealt with stresses, who definitely dealt with raising this child, probably raised her children um, largely on her own. We, we don't know for sure, but many scholars believe that Joseph probably died at a fairly young age. He's not mentioned much once you get past um, Jesus with, at about the age of 12. And so she's a great example of a mother, right? She's a great example even um, for teenagers today to look at, teenage girls looking at a a lady, a young girl herself, probably a middle schooler who was raising the son of God, right? Like in middle school, you think you have pressure when you have a test, right? She was raising the son of God, the savior of the world. And so um, I want to look at some of these things that she dealt with and I want to apply them to our lives and especially to your lives, ladies, um, as you um, are dealing with many of the same stresses. The first lie that I believe it's very easy for us to believe and for you to believe is this, that your identity is in what you do. We did a whole series back in August um, called A Better Story. And the whole series was about our identity in Christ. And this is the issue that we all deal with, that, that we believe so many times that our identity is in what we do. It's all tied up within, with our performance and what we do. When the reality, A, under number one, is that your identity is in whose you are, not what you do. Whose you are. So if you belong to Christ, then you are His. You are a part of Him. You are in Him. He is your identity. The Bible tells us very clearly that when we come to Christ, we become a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Mary would have had this issue. It could have been such a prevalent issue in her life. Can you imagine? Mary's from a small town called Nazareth, right? That was so insignificant that most historians of that day didn't even 
um, talk about it when they recorded history. It was a little insignificant town. We know when Jesus comes on the scene, they can't even believe he's the prophet. They can't believe he's the Messiah because nothing good comes from Nazareth. That's the quote that they made, right? And so here's this young lady in this small town, much like Statesboro, who is betrothed to be married to a man named Joseph. Being betrothed was like, um, it was, it was like marriage, but they didn't live together. They didn't sleep together. And if to be, um, broken, it had to be broken just like a divorce would take place. And so it was binding. It was something that they were going to be married probably within the next year. And and all of a sudden Mary comes up and what the angel appears, you're going to have a baby. It's going to be from the Holy spirit. But how many people do you really think believe that? Right? Like how many people did she say like, the angel came, you know, and, and talked to me and the Holy Spirit overshadowed me and now I'm pregnant, you know, and they were like, oh, that makes perfect sense, Mary. Nobody believed that, right? Virgins don't have babies. You know what I'm saying? So can you imagine the ridicule she went through in this small town, teenage girl, not married, they, they don't know who the baby, who, who the daddy, can you imagine what she faced? And you know, in a small town, news travels quickly. So it wasn't like this was something that they could keep hidden. You know, it's like Statesboro. If you say something on the north side of Statesboro and you drive to the south side, it will beat you there. You know what I mean? Like it gets there quickly. And, and people like to talk. And so everybody in this town, they, they knew about this. Can you imagine what she had to face? A teenager, an insignificant teenager in, in this insignificant town who's pregnant out of wedlock and would spend her life literally being thought of as the town whore. Is that not crazy? We don't typically think about Mary that way, do we? Hindsight, we see her differently. But can you imagine what the people in her town would have thought? It was even talked about that, that she could have been drastically punished, even, even to the point of death for having this happen. And so Mary was facing things that could have caused a great identity crisis. In fact, if you look in the Bible and you, and you really begin to read, you begin to realize that everybody, all these people we consider Bible heroes, they all had identity crisis. And it was only when they became secure in their identity in Christ that they could do what God called them to do. Mary made it. She, she didn't fall into this trap of an identity crisis because she had heard her heavenly father speak clearly that he favored her, that she was highly regarded. And she heard her heavenly father speak to her. It overcame the looks and the voices of condemnation in her life. It didn't mean she didn't battle them. It didn't mean that every day was rosy just because she had the son of God in her or either had given birth to him. It meant that she had a greater voice in her life than those voices on the outside that was trying to tell her she was something that she's not, right? That was pretty good. Y'all need yeah. And, and, and so she had a greater voice outside of her and inside that spoke something louder than the voices in her life that were trying to condemn her. Ladies, I wonder how many of us are, are struggling with an identity crisis that our past experiences have taught us something about ourselves that simply isn't true. That we've come into a relationship with Jesus and yet we still allow our past experiences to define how we look at ourselves and even how we think of ourselves and therefore how we act out in our life. Our past experiences begin to define us. The events of our lives begin to define us. We have a tragedy or we have um, a, a broken relationship and that begins to define who we are rather than the voice of God telling us who we are and living with his voice trumping every other voice that we hear. And we carry these things around like a weight that for our past just hinders us from being able to be propelled into our future because we just don't cut it off and understand the fact that we truly are a new creation in Christ and that that no longer has hold on our lives. We have our culture around us that's telling us these things. You drive out of here and what are you told? You're told all kinds of things, ladies. You, you, you look at magazines and you see who you're supposed to be, right? And you then, many of the times, you look in a magazine and you see who you're not. And it begins to make you wonder about you. Am I good enough? Am I really accepted? How can my husband be attracted to me when I don't look like this, you know, this, this model on television and guys, it doesn't help when you sit in front of the TV and hoop and holler at the Victoria's secret model. I'm just telling you, it does not help, right? It doesn't make them go, man, my husband is sexy. 
right? When you're like, woohoo, honey, can you bring me another beer? Right? It doesn't, it really doesn't work, you know? And, and so it's a struggle. Commercials, magazines, Bill, everything tells you who you're supposed to be. Um, sometimes it's your husband or your boyfriend or your ex-husband that's having a defining voice in your life. Guys, I would tell you this, our words should affirm who God's already said they are. Our words should not be an attempt to define them as to who we think they are. We should be affirming what God says about them, not trying to define them the way we think they should be. You need to understand before she was your wife, she was God's daughter. And we should treat her that way. But we begin to allow all of these labels to begin to be put on us. And this is like, this is how we live our lives so many times, ladies. This is how, guys, sometimes we live our lives. I got these, these uh, labels here. And, and it says, hello, my name is. And this is how some of you, and I know this because I've talked to some of you. This is how some of you see yourself when you walk into church. Some of you would say, hello, my name is divorced. And that label has been taken And it's been put on you. Some of you would say this, as you walk into the church, you would say, hello, my name is damaged goods. Because of abuse or because of a bad relationship. And you put that label on you. Some others, you would say, hello, my name is unloved. And that's truly how you feel today. You feel that nobody really cares about your existence. And so you wear that label all over. Some of you would say this, hello, my name is fatherless. And your father was never really a part of your life. And you figure that every man or every person that means something to you will eventually walk out of your life. Some of you would say, hello, my name is whore. Because you have a past. And you've done some things that you're now ashamed of and you wish you hadn't, but you just can't shake that label. Some of you would say, hello, my name is incompetent. And ladies, if you were honest right now because of things you've done, whether your fault or not, probably a lot of it not, then you would say that I feel incompetent as a wife or an ex-wife, as a mother, as a lover, as all of these different things, as an employer, an employee, and you would look at yourself and you would be wearing these labels. And these things become heavy and begin to sap your joy and begin to take your life. To the point where this is all you can see are these things that have attached themselves like leeches that suck the life joy out of you, the life of Jesus out of you. But here's here's the good news. Here's, Here's what happens when we come to a relationship with Christ. When we come to a relationship with Christ, Jesus steps in and he begins to remove these labels. And see, here's the mistake we make. We think we have to try to get rid of these labels in order to come to Christ. And Jesus says, if you'll come to me and you remember who I tell you you are, I'll take the labels and I'll give you a new name. I'll make you a new creation. And just don't do this. Just don't let let me take the label off and then you keep putting it back on, right? You just let me take it off and Jesus begins to peel off the labels and he begins to take them off and he removes them. He takes them up. He separates them from you so that that is no longer you. And ladies, what you end up becoming is simply a daughter of the king. And at the end of the day, all of those things have been swept away and your identity. I feel kind of funny wearing things that says daughter. I'm just going to be quite honest with you. But for you, I'll do it, right? And you become a daughter of the king. And so that your identity is daughter of the king. Guys, if you're in Christ, your identity is son of the king. And you begin to live that out. And you begin to move and live in a different direction. Because when Christ comes into us, when Christ comes into a woman, when Christ comes into a man, our direction changes. We begin to live a different life. And we begin to go a different direction. The problem is when we allow these past labels to define who we are. Ladies, you are not a sum total of your past experiences, what someone's told you, the, the, the decisions you've made. If you're in Christ, you are the sum total of the righteousness of Jesus, which is complete and full righteousness. That's what Jesus has done for us. So this lie that you are what you do 
or even what you've done is incorrect. One of Satan's greatest tools. Talk to people all the time that just can't get past their past. It's hard and we have to come to the God's word and we have to read his word and we have to be reminded of this. We have to be reminded of who we are. We have to let God speak to our heart again. He doesn't mind telling you again and again and again and again and again, right? Who we are in him. Second lie. I think this is huge with ladies. I'm going to take this daughter thing off now. I think this is huge. It's huge with guys too. The lie would be this, that you're insignificant. That you're insignificant. In the day, you're really, really insignificant, really don't matter. But I would tell you this underneath that. The value of an object is determined by what someone is willing to give for it. The value of an object is determined by what someone is willing to give for it, right? It isn't determined by how valuable you think it is. It's determined by what somebody's willing to give for it. You might think this Sharpie is worth 25 cents, right? But if somebody comes in and offers me a million dollars for it, guess what? It's worth a million dollars because I'm going to sell it to them. You know what I'm saying? And so the value of something is determined by how much someone's willing to give for it. I would ask you this, ladies, how much did God give for you? He gave his best. He gave his only. He gave his son for you. What does that tell me? That you're not insignificant. See, God places grace on your life. If you're in Christ, it's because God found you. We always say we found God. God found you. He came to you. When you were dead in sin and transgressions, God came to you and he awoke, awakened you by, your, by his spirit and he put his grace upon you. And when Mary is greeted by this angel, here's this girl in this town that historians didn't even really record existed. A teenager who thinks I'm just going to go through life and, and have, a, have just an insignificant existence. And yet this angel appears to her. And what does he say? You are highly favored, Mary. You're highly favored by the Lord. The word for favored there actually means grace. What had God done? He had come in and placed his grace upon Mary's life. And I would tell you this, when God has placed his grace upon you, it shows me that you're not insignificant, Right? When you become a child of God, a child of the king, you are not insignificant because God's grace found you. You might have thought you were in an insignificant town, in an insignificant life, going to do insignificant things. But the grace of God found you where you are and has made you significant. That's what Jesus does in our lives. That's what God did with Mary. There was nothing about Mary that made God have to use her. God chose her and God put his grace upon her. She became significant. We read about her today, not because of what Mary did, but because of what God did in Mary. And if you are in Christ and God knew where you were, he knows where you are and he's placed his grace upon your life, signifying your significance because your life was bought at a price and that price was the life of his son, Jesus. What an amazing thing God did for us. And I'll be honest, guys, like me included, we need to do a better job in this, in affirming this in our wives' lives. Like, I'm not very good at it. We'll eat dinner. Susan will cook. And and we've got some really, really funny um, cooking stories because my wife grew up, um, her dad owned a restaurant, so she didn't really cook. So when we first got married, um, she bought the Pampered Chef stuff. You know what I'm talking about, ladies? Probably guys, you don't. um, But... The pampered chef, and I kind of hope you guys don't know. I mean, just to be quite honest, it's, but she bought this bowl thing, and you're supposed to cook the, like you could cook this pizza thing in it, and and so she was going to cook it, and she brought it out, and I'd gotten home from work, and and you know we're going to have our nice little family dinner, and we sit down, and like the goo, the the, the dough was gooey, right? It, it just didn't cook all the way through, and I mean, it was terrible. But I'm like, uh huh, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm, you know. And finally, she was like, "This is not very good." I'm like, "Well, I didn't say that," you know. What I mean. Because you, you know, don't want to hurt her feelings. And, and, and so, but, but the thing about it is like, we'll sit down at dinner and we'll, we'll be eating and, and we'll get up and take the dishes over to the sink and, and she'll be sitting at the table and she's just like, <clears throat> you got a tickle in your throat. And, and she'll say, um, didn't y'all need to tell me something? You get a haircut? 
It's like, did you enjoy it? Oh, yeah, we enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, and we're terrible about that. And so it's something that we need to be better at. We need to affirm them in the things that they're doing and who they are and how much we appreciate them for the things that they do, right? Like teenagers, like actually show your parents appreciation. Like they're not as dumb as you think they are, right? They've lived longer than you. They're smarter than you. You may not think that, right? But they are. Listen. And show respect, honor your father and your mother so that we don't have to go back to Old Testament times and stone you to death, right? So honor your father, honor your mother. Respect them. Show them affirmation. You know, there's nothing, and this is coming from a dad's perspective, but to to those of you who are younger, anybody who still has a parent, there's nothing that means more to me or would mean more to me than for my children to say, Dad, you know, I'm proud of who you are. I'm proud of you. Tell my kids that all the time, but you know, as a parent, you seldom hear that. You know, dad, um, husband, it might be good sometimes to say, you know, honey, I'm proud of who you are. I'm proud of who you are. I'm not proud of what you do, just what you do. I'm proud of who you are, affirming them in what God um, has already told them. For a lot of women right now, you feel like it's insignificant because you feel like being a mother is not enough or, or the things you're doing, it just isn't enough. And I could imagine, you know, Mary probably had those, even with this encounter with an angel, you know, the, the, and, and having this, this son she knew that had to come from the Lord. There had to be days though, when she just wondered, right? When she just wondered, um, is this, am I, what am I doing? Am I doing enough? Is he going to turn out right? I mean, what am, what's my role in this kind of thing? You know, and so we're kind of told that being a mother isn't enough, but I would say that Mary left a pretty good legacy, right? By taking one step at a time, she sort of left a pretty good legacy, like she raised the son of God. That's not bad to put on your resume. And we would say, well, he was the son of God, so he probably could have just raised himself. And we, we might could even try to make that argument. But also the other thing I would tell you, though, is she had two other sons um, that one of them's name was James and the other one's name is Jude. And guess what? Both of them, they were actually Jesus' half-brothers, half-brothers because um, their father was Joseph. Jesus' father was God, the father, right? And so she had Jude and she had James. And guess what? Both of them wrote books in the Bible. Now, what would it take for you to worship your brother, right? A lot. So we know they saw Jesus raised from the dead. They, we know that they worshiped him. They wrote a book about him, telling other people about him. It's now in the New Testament and we read, read it when we actually read our Bibles. And so here's Mary's resume by being faithful to, to, to God and faithful in her, um, I said fatherdom last week. I'm gonna say motherdom this week, right? Just making up my own words. And so she was faithful in that. And she had one son who became the savior of the world she had another son, two sons, who wrote books of the Bible. Like, I'd say Mary did pretty good, right? And so you begin to see her significance because God's favor was on her. Now, none of you are going to raise the son of God, right? Obviously. But God has a significant plan or a significant part for you to play in the lives of your children, in the lives of those around you, in the lives of the people that you have influence with. The third lie that I see in this is that this is, and it ties into number two, but that what you're doing isn't making a difference. Maybe you feel like you're spinning your wheels, not gaining traction at all. But I would tell you this underneath that, the greatness of your impact will be seen through the cumulative effect of every small act of faithfulness. I'm gonna say it maybe at least two more times. The greatness of your impact will be seen through the cumulative effect of every small act of faithfulness. In other words, there's gonna be times when you wonder, am I even making a dent? Is it anything I'm doing, as hard as I'm working, as much as I'm exhausting myself, trying to raise these kids, trying to have them know the Lord, there's gonna be times when you wonder, am I even making an impact? And the thing I would tell you is, don't look at every little step, have a vision in mind of where you wanna see your family goes. Men, have a vision in mind of where you want your family to end up in 15, 20 years and begin to take one step at a time to get to that goal. Ladies, just be 
faithful every day. Be faithful every day. Be faithful. When you're driving to town and you got three kids screaming in the car and your head spinning around like the exorcist, just be faithful. Just stay faithful. When you snap and you blow it and you lose it, just repent and say, I don't want to do that anymore. Lord, forgive me. Kids, I'm sorry. I called you ugly names. That's not your identity. Jesus loves you. Right. And just be faithful. Just continue because the greatness of your impact is not going to be seen in one moment. It's going to be from the compilation of all of those moments put together as you influence and impact your children for years and years and years and years and years. Just being faithful. I'll tell you this, you're having an influence, ladies, because you, you're having an impact because you too have influence. You have influence with the people around you. I would tell you this, it's not hopeless if you don't have the godly father figure around. It's not hopeless. In fact, you may be living with someone right now that you can't even get him to come to church. You may be married to a guy that you can't get to come to church and he doesn't know the Lord. Um, but, but I would tell you that there is hope. In 1 Peter chapter 3, this is the instructions he gives wives. He says, wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over with words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives. This is what it didn't say. It didn't say nag your husband to heaven, right? It didn't say that. It said live such a life that they see the beauty and the reverence of your life and they understand who God is, right? And and I can tell you from my own experience, that's what Susan did for me. It's for years, she modeled this life, this reverence, this beauty, that, that her faithfulness for me to see. And there were gentle nudges, but there's a difference in nudging and nagging, right? And she would nudge me and she would push me and she would say, come on, let's, how about this? How about that? And, but there was never this nagging. I tell you, you, you would nag to hell, you would nudge to heaven, right? And I would encourage you, live this life, live this life. If you're in an abusive situation, then get out now, right? If he's just not living for God, Live this life before him that he can see you. He can see the gospel in you. That he might be won over himself. So you're not helpless if there's no godly figure around. And I would tell you this about your children, that you can make a difference in their faith. I'd encourage you out of scriptures. There's a young man by the name of Timothy. He's all throughout the New Testament. And I want to read you what the Bible says and what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, verse 5, it says this, I've been reminded of your sincere faith. So Paul said, Timothy, I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. He got saved even with his parents having those names or his grandmother and grandmother having those names. It's awesome. Lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and I am persuaded now lives in you also. So who influenced him in his faith? Paul references his mother. Paul references his grandmother. I bet you if we showed, I I did a show of hands about how many people today would say my faith is largely due to a praying grandmother. There would be a lot of hands because grandmothers keep praying even when we're like one step from hell, right? Mothers keep praying even when we're gone. And you know this is true. You know the influence and the power that mothers have over their children because whenever there's a great athlete who's put on TV, who do they think? Mom. And I can see this happening now. If one of my kids ever gets on TV, I'm at the ballpark, hours upon hours. I'm gonna have to have rotator cuff surgery and Tommy John from throwing so many pitches. Now I've been working with them, working with them, working with them. And watch, one day if one of them gets on television and they say, hey mom, I'm gonna be like, what? Right? But that's what they, they always do because mothers, you have a great amount of influence with your children. You can shape their faith and their lives, their, their spiritual lives. I want to tell you just three things real quick underneath that when you can write these down or you can listen. But, but one of them is this in, in how you shape your children's faith. One of them is raise them, don't worship them. Raise them, don't worship them. There's only one mother who had the right to worship her child and that was Mary, right? And until your child is born of a virgin, fulfills thousands of years of prophecy, dies on a cross for the sin of the world, goes into a tomb and comes back out, 
raised up to life, and now sits at the right hand of God the Father interceding on our behalf, we don't need to worship him, right? And that hasn't happened yet. This is hard. This is hard for me. I love my kids. And it's easy to begin to worship them. It's easy to begin to prioritize them ahead of our spouses. It's easy to begin to prioritize them ahead of God. And we'd say that our priorities are God, our, our, our spouse, and our kids. That would be ideal, right? But in reality, for many parents, it would be our kids, and then it would be God, and then it would be the house pet, and then it would be you know, the neighbor down the street, and then, it, you know, the Braves, the Falcons, and then our spouse, right? And so that's kind of how it tends to go. But the reality of it is we need to keep this in perspective. God shouldn't be a priority. God should be our life that touches everything within our life. And our children belong to him. Listen, when we become parents, we're given a divine stewardship. We're not giving ownership. We're stewarding something that is God's. It's not something to be worshiped and it's not something to be just just to be held as our own. It is God's and we are stewarding them and raising them for him. The second thing I'll tell you under that one is to model faithfulness, being consistent. You don't have to have enough faith to take the next 10 steps. Just take the next one. Know where God desires your family to go, dads. Know where God's taking your family, moms, and just take that next step. Some of you are so tired. I had one lady tell me this week, there are days I get up and the first thing I do is I think about if I can only make it to bedtime. I know some of you are tired. You don't have to take a hundred steps. You take one. And God's going to give you the strength to take the next one. And God's going to give you the strength to take the next one. And, and this is the thing. I hear so many women say this, that I just don't think I'm strong enough. Well, listen, when your strength runs out, his strength takes over. You're going to make it. Be consistent. Just model faithfulness one day after the next. The third thing I would tell you is be intentional. Be intentional with your children's identity. Be intentional with their identity. Be intentional as you raise them. Know where you're going and move them in that direction. Remind them who they are in Christ. Your children come to faith. Remind them of who they are in Christ. You grow in security in who you are in Christ so you can help them grow in security in who they are in Christ. And be intentional about it. Use real world world example. You don't have to have a Bible in your hand to be intentional about shaping who they are and how they see themselves. You can just be riding down the road. You just realize we're riding down the road one day and, and I don't know, maybe I have um, kids that are different than yours, but my kids like to nag and, 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 and like pick at each other. Anybody else got kids that like to do that? Just make me feel better. If you'll raise your hand, even if they don't, it make me feel better. And, and they're picking and my 11 year old's picking on my seven year old and they're going back and forth. And, and my 11 year old finally just goes, Jackson, you're a doofus. I'm like, okay, whatever guys. And so... Jackson then looks at Dake and he goes, you're right, I am a doofus, like that. And I don't know if Jackson's trying to outwit him, but the way he said it, what I heard was Jackson was taking ownership of that label, right? And so that night I'm sitting there and I said, Jackson, come here a minute. And he comes over and I said, I'm gonna tell you something, don't ever do what you did today. And he thought I'd seen him hit like his brother Reed. He didn't know what it was. He thought he was in big time trouble. I said, I don't ever wanna see you do what you did today. And he said, what did I do, Dad? I said, you called yourself a doofus. You accepted what Dake said about you, and that's not who you are. And I I had to talk to him about this. Jackson, people are going to try to put things on you and try to label you as different things. You're not that. You are who God says you are, right? And so using just real life opportunities to begin to teach them and show them who they are. Because here's the reality. We live in a world system that is going to identify us. If we don't establish an identity for our children, there will be an identity established for them. If we're not aggressive and intentional in establishing who they are, the world will gladly tell them who they are. Listen, the system we live in, the best athlete is always going to start the game. It's just the way it is. The system we live in, most likely the prettiest girl is going to win the beauty pageant. The system we live in, usually the smartest is going to get the promotion. Sometimes we don't, especially when you're the one that got passed over. I understand, right? Sometimes things happen. But the reality of it is we live in a system that awards performance. And when we come to God, God says it's not about how you perform. It's about how I've already performed on the cross. And that gives you your identity and who you are, not what other people would put on you. That's why we're called to be, you know, in the world, but not of it. 
That's why we're called aliens here. This is not our home any longer. We work and we live in this system, but it doesn't define us. It gives us great freedom because we can go out and we can attempt great things for the kingdom and for God. And if we fail, you know what? We might have failed at what we were doing, but we're not a failure because we realize that I've already won in in, in life. I've already won. I've already been given eternal life. That doesn't define us. It actually frees you to take great steps of faith and great opportunities to do things for God that otherwise you might not would do because what if I'm humiliated? What if, what, if, what if people think I'm nuts? You know what? What they think doesn't define who I am. And you can even love the people who condemn you because their condemnation doesn't stick to you. And we can live this way. But we have to begin to establish that in our children. They've got to know who they are in Christ. And we can teach them that. And as we grow more secure in that, we're able to help them grow more secure in that. The fourth lie. is this, that you won't finish well. Some of the ladies that I talked to felt this, some, some didn't, but I've talked to enough to know that many of you are like the lady who said, when I wake up in the morning, I just want to get to bedtime. And if you were to be honest, you would say, I don't know if I'm going to finish. Guys, some of you in here right now, you're wondering, am I going to finish this race? Am I going to finish it? Well, I would tell you, if you're in Christ, you are going to finish. If you will abide in Christ, you will cling to Christ, you will finish. He will give you the ne- enough strength to take your next step. I would tell you under number four, at point A, that in Christ, your weakness becomes your platform to display God's strength. Many of you have things in your life that if you were to label them, it would be somewhat like Paul's thorn in the flesh. Paul said, I've got this thorn. I've asked God to take it away three times, but he just keeps telling me my grace is sufficient for you, right? I would tell you the same thing that that thorn, that thing, that label that seems to haunt you, the thing in your life, that weakness when we draw deeply from God's grace and we're abiding in him and we realize that what the angel told uh, Mary is that nothing is impossible with God is true. But that weakness, that thorn, it can become a source of strength. It can become a platform that we are able to declare the strength of God because when we're not, he is, right? When we struggle, he's strong. The Bible says in Colossians 1.17 that, that through Jesus all things were created and through Jesus all things hold together so that when our life seems to be spinning out of control, we can take security, we can take peace in knowing that Jesus holds it together. And we can keep our eyes focused on him. I'm not telling you that the heavens always part and the angels always sing and the birds are are singing around us and the flowers are more colorful than ever. What I'm telling you is even in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because my God is with me. Isn't that the meaning of Christmas? God with us. God came to us. So when we're in this place of wondering, will I finish? Absolutely. I would tell you this, trust what God, trust God to do what he says he'll do. Philippians 1, 6 says this, that he who begun a good work in us will see it to completion. You know how many days and how many weeks I pray that prayer for me as a pastor of this church? <laughs> like constantly. When I hear a voice that says, you're not gonna make it. I go to Philippians 1, 6, and I say, I know I will because he began a good work in me. He's faithful to complete it. He's going to finish it. You know what? I may not have the strength to finish this, but God does. And he called me to it, and he's going to do it. That rhymed, and I did not even mean for it to. But Philippians 1, 6 tells us that God will finish what he began in us, the good work that he gave us, that he's doing. He's going to see it to completion. I would encourage you to remember the past faithfulness 
of God in your life, the things he's already done to give you confidence and courage to move forward in the future. Think about the faithfulness of God you've already experienced. Let it give you courage that the next obstacle that comes, he's going to give you the ability to overcome it. There's two times in the Bible that that Mary, um, it says that Mary treasured something in her heart. One of them was when the shepherds came and visited Jesus at his birth. The other one was when she found Jesus teaching the teachers in the temple at the age of 12, right? Pretty amazing and pretty scary that she lost the son of God for three days. And she found him teaching. And the Bible says in both cases that she treasured that in her heart. She remembered it in her heart. And I believe she remembered that. And I believe she treasured those encounters with Jesus, those times with Jesus, because there was going to be a day, there were going to be times in the future that she was going to have to go back to her encounters with Jesus to give her courage to face what she was currently facing. For example, when her son is hanging on a cross, dying for the sin of the world. You think that might have been a tough day for Mary? Where she had to look back at what Jesus had done, what he, who he had been, all of the things and all of the ways she had, he had touched her life. So I don't necessarily completely understand this, but I know God's got this. I'm going to trust what God's already told me. Mary had to trust, trust God to be what you can't be. I'll be honest with you, ladies, there's, for some of you, there's not enough of you to go around. There's not enough of you to go around. I would tell you this, look at the big things. Take care of the big things. Sometimes, you know what? It's okay if the floor is not mopped. You know, it's okay if the clothes get folded on the dining room table. It's okay for the guy to go and put them up, right? It's okay. I hope it's okay because that's my house, right? But there are things that don't need to be neglected. Like time with your children. They are here and then they're gone. And our time to influence, our time to invest, and our time to enjoy is short. Take care of those big things. And those little things, they can be done another day, right? Let's be intentional about those things. I struggle with this a lot as a pastor, to be honest. There's times when um, I I struggle because I can't be everything to everybody, right? It's just impossible. And so when I open my laptop, if you look on my laptop right now, our, our communications director, Sean Fox, actually printed out a thing and stuck it on my computer because he knows I struggle with this. And it says... Trust him, trust God to be what you can't be. At least I would encourage you, trust God to be what you can't be. Trust God to be what you aren't. Trust him. Some of you, listen, single moms, you don't have the, 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 the dad's not in the picture. He's not there. But you know what? Your child has a loving heavenly father. He loves them with a perfect love. Point them to him. There is nobody in this room who is fatherless because we all have a heavenly father who loved us enough and valued us enough and thought we were significant enough to send his son to die for us. I'll tell you this, Mary finished her life well, not because Mary was so amazing, but because the Holy Spirit did something in her that changed her forever. And the Holy Spirit gave her strength when her strength was gone. And this is how we finish well, the Holy Spirit living in us. And we come to Christ, the Spirit dwells in us. My last thing I would tell you is this. I would would ask you one, if you come to a relationship with Jesus so that you know the Spirit lives in you, has he confirmed in you that you are his? Because if you are his, you are his daughter or you are his son, period. That is it. Another thing is, what is it today that you should probably lay at his feet what is it today that you need to trust him with that you've been carrying that you need to let go of what is it today that is is hindering you that's the thing in the past that that has um just latched on and, and seems to be dragging you from being able to move forward in your future it's come and it's robbed your joy what is it you need to trust god with philippians chapter 4 tells us that we can cast our cares upon him He cares for us. And if we'll yield those things to him and we'll trust those things to him that we can experience peace that transcends all understanding. God has come to give us life. Give us peace. And if Christmas should be 
about anything. It'd be celebrating the life and the peace that Jesus came to give. And it is a reality for us when we abide in him. Listen, apart from him, we can do nothing but in him. And he does great things. As he works in us, he does great things through us. He did it in the life of Mary, a young girl who was, had to be scared to death in an insignificant town, a huge obstacle according to the world. And yet God used her to impact the world and change it forever. And I know for me to impact my life and change me forever. And the same opportunity is here for you today. For some of us, maybe today's the day we need to come to salvation. We need to say, yes, I want a relationship with Jesus. I want to accept the sacrifice he made on the cross for me. I don't want to play games with this. I want to surrender my life to him as both Savior and Lord, meaning I'm looking to him as my salvation, and I'm also going to trust him and follow him, surrender to him as the Lord of my life, as he calls the shots, not me. And for some of us today, we may need prayer because we're just going through something. Listen, bad people don't need prayer. Good people don't need prayer. All people need prayer, right? strong that we everybody needs prayer and today when i pray if today you need to receive christ he's knocking on the door of your heart and you say yes i want to know him then i'm going to give you opportunity when i pray you get up and walk over here to these doors my left your right you get up and move if today you just need prayer you just say i need prayer i'm carrying this i can't carry it i need i need somebody to walk alongside of me to pray with me um, whatever it is you might be here and be a mother and something spoke to your heart some struggle you're having you might be here and you might be um you know, uh, just a guy, a college student who, who, who just needs prayer. There's something going on in your life and the Lord spoke to your heart today. When I pray, I'm going to ask you to move. And I'm going to pray a good long prayer. You just get up and you just move. And let us pray for you, okay? Let us walk alongside of you. Let us love you. Let us pour into your life. And let us be a conduit of God's grace to you today. So when I pray, I'm asking you, you move and allow us to minister to you. Lord, we love you and we thank you for loving us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you that he is here and that he is alive. God, I pray. God, I pray for the mother today who is so worried about her children. I pray for the mother today. Um, God, who, who just, God just needs to let go and trust you. God, it's so hard because she loves her kids so much. I pray, Lord, that, 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 that you would speak to her heart and that you would bring peace to her, her heart today. I pray, God, for the college student, the guy here today who, who doubts his ability to be a godly man in the future. I pray, God, that you would speak to his heart and let him know that he does not have to be who his father was. But that he can look to you, his perfect heavenly father, as his example, and through the power of your spirit and his faith and trust in you, you will use him to raise up godly children. God, I pray for the child today. I pray, God, I pray for the child today that, that they know, they know that they need to repent and to apologize to their parent. I pray that they would seek to reconcile what's been torn apart by a decision. And I pray, God, for that parent's heart to receive them. Lord, we love you and we thank you for loving us. Give us strength when we are weak as you promised, God. I thank you, Lord, that when things do come that are more than we can handle, they're never more than you can handle. Give us wisdom in raising our children. Give us wisdom in how we function in a marriage. Give us wisdom as to how we live in a world that the system tells us is based on performance and yet we can just simply trust in what you've done for us. God, let your spirit fall and change this community, this country, this world, that your glory would be seen by all. Thank you for Jesus. In his powerful name we pray.